Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What up, sports fans? Welcome in to another edition of the Big Ten Show. He's the almost famous Adam Carricker. I'm the much less famous Jeff Turn, and we have plenty to tackle on this edition of the Big Ten Show. Uh, we are going to get with our good friend Bill Bender of the Sporting News. We'll tackle some of the odds for the Big Ten some portalating and uh, much more. But speaking of portalating, Adam, uh, how was your weekend? How you doing, buddy? It was glorious. And my God, I have not looked in the mirror recently, and I did not realize this is like a poor man's version of the old warrior, uh, Ultimate Warrior face paint right here. Like, goodness gracious, I didn't realize how bad that was. I've had my hat on at my son's baseball uh, tournaments for, for quite a while. But, yeah, uh, Mother's Day was great. I even snuck in a nap. Don't tell my wife that I was supposed to be watching. Oh, wow, kids. that's impressive. How was your weekend? My weekend was good. Same thing. Mother's Day was great. Shout out to all the moms. Even though we're past Mother's Day, you guys are awesome all year long. And I will point this out. You know, you say you look like maybe a poor man's version of the Ultimate Warrior. There's a commercial going around right now for the Strawberry Frosty at Wendy's, and they have one of the the members of the uh, Wendy's crew that was spending too much time already out in the sun. You look exactly like him. He he pulls up his arm and it's just completely white and then it's red. And he says it'll start to blend out. Uh, I don't think any of that is blending out on your face right now, man. It just looks really red and it looks like it hurts actually. It does not hurt. I was not, I knew it was there. I was not aware that it was this quite this uh, horrifically horrible, so to speak. How, who knows? Instead of being almost famous, maybe this will help make me famous. I don't know. I don't want to be famous for this. Never yeah, mind. Yeah, you don't want to be famous <laughs> for any of that. But you do look like the dude from the Wendy's commercial. So when you get a chance, you guys can Google that as well. As I said, Bill Bender is going to join us here in a little bit from the Sporting News. Dylan Rayola was, was a lot of people's pick to be the guy that was going to be the future, maybe at quarterback at Nebraska. He decided to pick Georgia instead. That was some big news today. What was your reaction to that? So, as we all know, originally was committed to Ohio State. Then he was opened his commitment all over again. He had formed relationships with Lincoln Riley at USC, Matt Rule in Nebraska, clearly Kirby Smart at Georgia, which is where he ended up committing to me. Uh, when he, he was going to take a visit to Nebraska, when he decided not to do it during spring ball, Something told me he was probably going to go elsewhere. That was just kind of the buzz I'd heard from some of the insider folks. Just the gut feeling that they had uh, as well. So I wish him nothing but the best in the second best college football conference that exists. Wow, we do a Big Ten show. You know what we think is the best conference in college That's right. football. We're biased. But, I mean, but real quick, with regards to that, does that does that speak to anything with regards to Matt Rule and recruiting, or or is it just unfortunately you didn't land that kid? I think the fact that we got back in the conversation, and I know I'm not supposed to talk about Scott Frost, and you're not supposed to say anything negative. Well, I'm not going to avoid him. I'm not going to bring him up on purpose. I'm just going to bring him up when appropriate. The fact of the matter is Scott. Fact of the matter, easy for me to say. Scott Frost crapped the bed when it came to recruiting Dylan Riola. We don't need to get into the whole story as to what happened. Okay, maybe at a later date, but we don't need to. Matt Rule got us back in the conversation. I say us. I'm a Nebraska guy. Yeah. Okay got Nebraska back into the conversation. And to me, that was surprising enough as it was. Now, I will say this, okay? I'm not just going to drink the rule aid all the time. I'm going to hold him accountable. I'm going to praise him when he deserves it. I'm going to hold him accountable when that needs to happen. A lot of the other top quarterbacks have committed elsewhere now. The top quarterbacks in the state of Nebraska have committed elsewhere. We, we only have three scholarship quarterbacks right now. Our youngest one is going to be a sophomore. 
Okay, we had a freshman in Richard Torres who transferred out. Now we are without a, shall we say, young, young quarterback, a guy to develop, and a lot of those guys have gone elsewhere. So Matt Rule may have put too many of his eggs in the Dylan Riola basket. I hope it doesn't bite us in the keister. Love you, Matt, but I got to hold you accountable when I think it's appropriate, even if I'm wrong. Okay, and and just one more side note on all of this, because if this was 10, 15 years ago, you would have been like, wow, Georgia's the team that landed this star recruit. Now it's like the rich just keep getting richer, right? Like Georgia has become, you know, on, on level par or above in some cases with Alabama, with Ohio State, of course, maybe over Michigan as well. It just shows me you start to get that hardware on those fingers, you get those rings, and it, it doesn't just change what the image of you is in the moment. It changes the image amongst the recruits, changes the image amongst your boosters, and within a conference like even the SEC where there's been such top-heavy with LSU and Alabama. The, okay, so I know I, I had fun calling the SEC the second-best conference in college football uh, just a few minutes ago. But the fact of the matter is the SEC is out recruiting everybody. They just are. Barring Clemson occasionally, Ohio State consistently, USC on offense. They ever going to play defense? Is there, are they ever going to have anybody in the stands at their games? I don't know. I digress. Uh, our Big Ten brethren to be soon. Got to have fun with you before you get here. But the fact is two years ago, two years ago, all 14, and that conference is top heavy, okay? But all 14 teams in the SEC had top 30 recruiting classes. That means almost 50% of the top 30 recruiting classes two years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm unaware of last year, I don't remember this happening last year, belong in the southeastern part of the country. That makes me want to vomit. Okay, but we got to start beating them because they want to, kids want to go where they're going to get eyeballs on them. They're going to get eyeballs on them on the teams that are winning. And that is now Georgia. When you look at what Alabama did for years, every year was number one recruiting class, Bama, 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 Bama. You look at the national titles. Bama, Bama, uh, maybe a year, Bama, Bama, Bama. Now Georgia's winning. They're winning because they're out recruiting, okay, uh, uh, more often than not lately, uh, Alabama and Nick Saban. But now that they're winning, it's going to be even easier. <laughs> it makes a Big Ten guy want to puke, that's for it sure. Does. Big Ten show here on the Believe Network. Check us out iTunes, Spotify. Make sure and subscribe, like, do the whole nine yards. Also, of course, on YouTube. We got our guy Bill Bender joining us now. From the Sporting News, uh, Bill, welcome into the show. Adam Carricker, Jeff Turn, and Bill Bender. What's up, my friend? How you doing today, man? Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, Thanks man, pleasure. Us. Absolutely. We just got done talking about Dylan Rayola deciding to go to Georgia when there was obviously the commitment originally to Ohio State. Some thoughts maybe he would go to Nebraska. Just quick off the top, what was your thoughts on, on him choosing Georgia over the others there in the Big Ten? Well, I mean, obviously, it's a huge get for Georgia. They've had five-star quarterbacks in the past, but, I mean, it's one of those – got to use the cliche almost, the rich get richer. Now you have all that NFL talent, and you throw a – if Kirby starts developing first-round NFL quarterback talent on top of whatever he already has, that dynasty is not going anywhere. You know, Bill, we've, we've talked so often the last few weeks about the transfer portal and, and how NIL and getting eyeballs on you and winning affects sort of where people ultimately land. With the college football playoff expanding, how much weight does a college football playoff experience matter, do you think, to a recruit and having more eyeballs on you versus actually getting to a four-person college football playoff and actually winning it? Like, how much does that change at all, the, the recruiting landscape, 
for places like the Big Ten, who will obviously have more probably teams in the mix in a playoff, in a expanded playoff, than they would in just four? It'll be a sliding definition of what a successful season is. And it's similar, I use the analogy to basketball, when a team makes the Sweet 16, that goes, well, some teams do banners, not everybody does. So, you know, when you have, say, Penn State, for example, if we were in a 12-team setup now, they would be a playoff regular. And I think there would be far less a different opinion of James Franklin than there is now. Um, you know, Nebraska, the Big Ten West champion would be a playoff regular instead of the team where, where we're wondering, can they be, beat the Big Ten East in Indianapolis? You'd wonder how Wisconsin, Iowa, even if Nebraska can get to that point, how they would do in the playoffs. So I, I think it, coaches are going to end up liking it because getting to the playoff will get them paid. I think you're right because I think a lot of coaches, and I, I love that you pointed to Penn State, Nebraska, you could almost say, Wisconsin and Luke Fickle once he gets that team built up a little bit to what he what he wants to do how he wants to do it they're going to be judged by did you get into the playoff or not and then eventually over time did you win a playoff game or not as opposed to there's only four teams and it's really hard to get in there I do gotta I don't know if you guys saw this my wife sent me this this was put on Twitter all right talk about Georgia quarterbacks and then we'll get back to the conference that matters Stetson Bennett is Van Wilder this was posted on Twitter the E True Hollywood story of how a D1 athlete went to college for six years, won two national titles, but didn't graduate. I mean, just just thoughts on developing Georgia quarterbacks that graduate. What are your thoughts on that? You know, Bennett, he's never gonna have to buy a meal there, though, right? You know, <laughs> well, that's the, true. I yeah. mean, the, the two national titles, the you know, the way that they did it. And and I am curious to see how Kirby does this with a five-star quarterback, as I, I mentioned. Jacob Eason didn't finish there. Uh, Justin Fields was a decision that he's, even though he's won national championships since, there, that name comes up because Kirby didn't start him over Jake Fromm. And they've had Brock Vandegrift's on the roster now. So do they respond well to, to using that five-star quarterback talent? I know that's a first-world problem, but look at Alabama. I mean, Nick Saban changed the way he did it. He, he used to win national titles with A.J. McCarron and Greg McElroy, and now – you know, he the last three quarterbacks they've had were first rounders. So that's why there's so much uncertainty in Alabama because they may not have a first round guy under center this year. Hey, Bill Bender joining us from the Sporting News. When it comes to Ohio State and Michigan, the prohibited favorites year in and year out to win the Big Ten, at least over the last handful of years, how similar are the the product that they present in recruiting in your mind? to the product of those two teams that you just mentioned with Alabama and Georgia, who are the primitive favorites, obviously, right now, year in and year out in the SEC? Well, I mean, when you look at the NFL draft the last four years, so Georgia has the most draft picks, followed by, surprisingly, LSU, because they had that big class with Burrow and all those guys, then Alabama, then identical Ohio State and Michigan. Same amount of draft picks. It's either 32 or 34. I don't have my cheat sheet in front of me. But – um I think the difference over the years has been Ohio State's had – I always describe it this way when I'm at that game, that they both had a lot of NFL talent on the field, but Ohio State typically had the best three or four guys on the field, You know, whether it was a Justin Fields or a J.K. Dobbins or one of their defensive guys. The last two years, you could make the case that Michigan's had the best two or three guys on the field, whether it was Aiden Hutchison two years ago or you know, McCarthy this year, uh, even without Blake Corum. So – I, as you know, Jeff, I'm in Central Ohio. There's, it's a little bit different here. They're not used to losing to Michigan. They haven't lost to Michigan three times since I was in high school in the 90s. <laughs> Panic meter starts to set in, that's for sure. 
I'm curious. I want to venture back kind of to Wisconsin real quick. First of all, why has Wisconsin and Luke Fickle not been talked about more? I, I hardly hear them ever talked about right now since that hiring. Also, he wants to go more spread on offense. How do you think that's going to work at a place like Wisconsin where it's been power right, power left, pound the rock, pound the rock, Russell Wilson for a year, but beyond that, they're doing something they haven't done maybe ever, okay, since before Barry Alvarez, that's for sure. How's that going to go at Wisconsin, you think? Well, I trust Luke Fickle. I, I first The first question, I bet he likes that it's quiet because just knowing being around him the way he bit, built the Cincinnati program, here's, here's where I think he makes a difference. If you look at Cincinnati, the last three NFL drafts, they since this is Cincinnati, they sent 16 guys to the NFL. Wisconsin, same stretch, 13 guys. So one, Luke Fickle can develop talent. He, he has recruiting roots at Ohio State. He has recruiting roots with Catholic schools across the Midwest. Um, few, few people know, he in Central Ohio, he's a high school wrestling legend, which is, uh, you know, really? I would, you would not want to get on the uh, – Adam, maybe, but Jeff, you don't. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, yeah, we, Jeff, we you do not want to get on the mat with uh, Luke Fickle. I don't think um, we knew that was directed at me, man. Yeah, so uh, you know, and I certainly am not getting on the mat with him. But to answer the question, um, talent development's there. Quarterback development will be huge. So, like you said, they're going away from what they normally do. In order to do that, they're going to need Tanner Mordecai to be good. They're going to need to recruit the quarterback position well. And I think that's something that's lacked at Wisconsin. So. You know, when I talk about Iowa, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, one of the things I look at is, okay, how many are they sending to the NFL? What's their quarterback position look like? And, and you know, in, in skill position talent, what does that look like? And I think it kind of goes into what Matt Rule can do at Nebraska is the same thing as Luke Fickle. Can he bring that NFL talent and develop it and, and get more guys in the league? If you do that, it, it's not rocket science. You'll be pretty good. Year one for Wisconsin under uh, Luke Fickle, plus 650 to win the Big Ten Championship, and Nebraska plus 6,000. So many people would look at that and go, wow, 10, 10 to 1 odds better essentially on uh, on Wisconsin than Nebraska. But if I was to ask you to buy stock over the next five years into Nebraska with Matt Rule and to Wisconsin under Luke Fickle, is it that big of a gap in your mind or is it much closer? It's going to come down to which school – changes up their recruiting a little bit. And I think Matt Rule, I mean, he's in on good recruits. They were in on Rayola, obviously. I think they're they're very active in the transfer portal. What the first thing I think Matt Rule's gonna do is get what what's their over under? Is it five and a half? Uh somewhere guys, around there, yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think the first thing get to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And then you compete for a Big Ten West championship. Then you find out if you can compete with the the powerhouses in the Big Ten. So I think all of that's doable over the next five years and win close games. You guys, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know already. Um, Wisconsin, I mean, I really like what Luke did at Cincinnati. And if he can follow the model, it will work. The, the problem is if they, like Adam said, if they go away from what they know and it doesn't work, as you know, we've seen this at Michigan and Nebraska. When you go away from what works and it doesn't work, it can blow up on you pretty quick. I want to chat about Penn State again real quick because we've talked about the 12-team playoff, them getting in. People might view Frank, Coach Franklin very differently. My question for you is can they finally get over the hurdle that is Penn State, I'm sorry, Ohio State and Michigan? Because Franklin's done well there, but they're I don't want to say they're seen as second tier, but they're definitely not on the same tier in most people's eyes, mine included, as Ohio State and Michigan. Can they finally kind of get over that hurdle, get up to that top tier, the top of the Big Ten Conference, along with those two other squads. 
third wheel is how I would describe them. You know, yep. like the third wheel in the East because of that, because of the lack. They were 10 and 2 last year and they were run over by Michigan. And they, the fourth quarter, Ohio State, I call it, you know, whatever analogy you guys want to use, I call it the turbo button. Um, Ohio State just zoomed right past them in the fourth. Mm-hmm. And uh, to your point, James Franklin, all the success he's has, four and 14 against Ohio State and Michigan. So this is a huge year for them. Expectations are high. They got Drew Aller, the sophomore quarterback, five-star arm. They've got two really good running backs. They've got an offensive lineman that's going to be a first-round talent. They've got talent on defense. So it really does come down to those two games. You you circle Ohio State and Michigan. And if James Franklin doesn't win those, I think they'll be – it's not like a fireable offense, but the frustration will grow because it'll feel like a little bit like it did – late Paterno era where the same thing happened. They were really good for several years, but they wouldn't beat Ohio State. They wouldn't beat Michigan. Bill Bender of the Sporting News, sportingnews.com. You mentioned third wheel, Big Ten championship odds, Ohio State plus 180, Michigan plus 210, third wheel, Penn State plus 500 right above Wisconsin, and then drops off uh, to Iowa at plus 1,400. You speak about fireball offenses. Brian Ferentz has a contract that's been amended. He has to score a certain amount of points. Do you think he gets fired at the end of this year? Or do they score enough points? Uh, <laughs> a thoughtful pause. Um, I don't know that he'll get fired. I do know that they need to score more points because a couple things with that. One, I like the fit with Cade McNamara. I mean, that's a guy that's won a Big Ten championship. Getting the ball, they they get Eric All a transfer tight end. They grab two receivers out of the portal. They're going to have to change that. I mean, it's kind of a it's not a joke, but it's just a running text thread with some of my buddies. Every time Iowa's on, and we've been doing this for 30 years, and when it's third down, I, I will text my buddies. I was like, I bet you Iowa throws the tight end here. And we've been doing this for a long time. Um, pressure's on them. Uh, the other thing, they spoiled a really good defense last year. I mean, you guys saw it in the NFL draft. I mean, when Van Ness and Campbell and you know Merriweather, the safety, all of these guys were so talented. I, I had a buddy text me during the high State game. They said they really loved Jack Campbell because they were getting crushed and he was still out there playing so hard. So I, I think that wears on a team when the defense – everybody knows that. When, when your defense is that good and the offense can't score, that can wear on a team pretty quick. So you talk about that defense having two first-round picks, two, first, two guys go in the, in the first 18 selections. You talk about the offense. I saw a stat the other day where the eight lowest-scoring games from last college football season – Three of them belong to the Iowa Hawkeyes, nearly 50%. That's crazy. So I'm just going to ask the question. And I actually, when I chatted with Jeff last week, at some point we're going to have Kirk Ferentz on, and I'm going to ask him this same question. I might phrase it a little bit differently, but I'm going to ask it. Was Brian Ferentz kept on as the offensive coordinator, in your opinion, because his dad is the head coach? <laughs> He's going to dance around that one. Um, <laughs> I'll phrase it differently with him, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I try. I could answer that like Kirk, but um, you know, Kirk's been around a while, and there's a reason. Um, you know, he he's obviously the the dean of Big Ten coaches. One thing, whenever I talk to him, he's got a great memory. I mean, he can remember plays from like games in the '80s and key moments and those kind of things. And yeah, maybe obviously there's probably something to that. I, I remember Jim Harbaugh went through the same thing because he has his son on staff. And when that position group came under fire, that was the first thing people were saying. I mean, there's something to be said about continuity, but I think everybody knows that offense has to average more than 17.7 points per game. When there were stories like last year that ESPN ran about how it was – 
statistically better for them to punt on first down against Ohio State than play it out. I mean, those are the kind of things that you just can't have written in 2023 mm-hmm. as an offensive coach. Yep. So true. Bill Bender, the Sporting News. Finally, man, before we get you out of here, we'll have you take your pick. Are you taking Michigan or Ohio State? Who are the odds on favorites to win the Big Ten Championship? Are you going to go with the field? I would go with either Ohio State or Michigan again. I think Ohio State, when you have eight guys in our NFL big board top 50, including the probably the best player in college football, Marvin Harrison Jr., there's a lot on the line for them. I expect them to play for the edge. And Jim's got it figured out in Ann Arbor. I know, Jeff, we've talked over the years about that. It's, it yeah. was, you know, I was one of those guys that was saying patience, patience, patience. But I didn't think it would get to this point how good they really are. They've got it figured. They have the best backfield in the Big Ten. They've got a lot of tra- – he's worked the transfer portal like NFL free agency. Um, I think it could very easily be 11-0 and versus 11-0, but we'll see. Bill Bender picking uh, one of those two teams versus the field in May. We'll see what transpires between now and fall camp, and I'm sure we'll check in sooner rather than later. Bill, thanks so much for joining us on the Big Ten Show, man. We appreciate the time. Hey, thanks, anytime. Bill. You guys are the best. Thank you. Thanks, Hi, Bill. great stuff. Bill Bender joining us from the Sporting News, sportingnews.com. Gun to head, Adam, or, uh, you know, no sunscreen for the rest of the summer. Uh, are, are you taking Ohio State, Michigan, or the field to win the oh. Big Ten Championship? Ohio State, Michigan. It's not yeah, me too, man. I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> I hope we're wrong. Like, I hope we're wrong, and I hope it becomes chaos because I love chaos in college football. But it just feels like, man, at this point, we're not going to be wrong. It feels like it's them and everybody else. And the odds makers feel that way, too, as I mentioned. Ohio State plus 180, Michigan plus 210. And then it's Penn State plus 500, Wisconsin plus 650. And then it's a huge drop-off. Iowa plus 1,400, Minnesota plus 2,900. Maryland comes in next at plus 4,000, followed by Illinois at plus 5,000, Nebraska at plus 6,000, Michigan State, how quickly they have fallen, plus 9,500, plus 10,000 for Northwestern, Indiana, and Purdue. Okay, If if we put in USC and UCLA, where do you think where do you think they'd be? I think USC would be somewhere around Michigan's number at plus 210. And I think UCLA would probably be somewhere around Iowa's number at plus 1400. I, I very similar. I'd put USC right there with Ohio State, Michigan, somewhere in there. Um, probably ahead of Penn State. With UCLA, they're getting better. And they had a good start know. to last year, you know. I don't know at the rate that Bruins fans were kind of hoping. I was going to say with Penn State, but probably below Penn State. And I forget who was after Penn State, Wisconsin or Iowa. Probably Wisconsin right in that range. Yeah. I'd probably go right in that range as well. I know that's not revolutionary or any different to what you just said, but it's, it's what I would say. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of my thoughts. It's interesting with Penn State, you know, just to kind of go back to what Franklin has done there. They've they finished in the top 10 multiple times. They actually have a Big Ten championship from a few years ago. They've won New Year's Six Bowl games. They go out to Pasadena. They beat the Pac-12 champs, thump them. Now, I, I believe it was 35-21, so by two touchdowns. And since that game has ended, nobody's talked about it. It's just amazing to me also how the Rose Bowl, which used to be the one special bowl game left outside of the outside of the two college football playoff games itself is no longer that big of a deal because now players are sitting out of that game. But it's amazing how they beat the Pac-12 champs, a preseason top 10 team in Utah, and they did lose their starting quarterback part of the way through the game. So I will give them that. But nobody's talking about that at all. So for me, I find myself rooting for Penn State. So when I was growing up, 
Hulk Hogan was never my favorite wrestler. was the Ultimate Warrior. Austin was never my favorite. Steve Austin, never in the 90s. It was The Rock. I never liked the top guy. I always liked the guy trying to take down the top guy. So that's why I find myself rooting for Penn State this year. And we'll see what they do. That'll be interesting to watch. The Big Ten Show. He's Adam Carricker. I'm Jeff Turn. We don't just do football on this show. Shout out. We're going to we're going to softball, Adam, here before we leave today. Uh, Mabe Nelson roped a game-winning single to right center field in the bottom of the seventh inning, capping a two-run rally that lifted Northwestern University to a 2-1 victory over number two seed Indiana in the championship game of the Big Ten tournament over the weekend. That was being played there at the University of Illinois. And with that, uh, we have four teams going. In fact, they have six Big Ten teams playing in postseason action, but four of them are going to the NCAA tournament. Northwestern is one of them. Indiana is another. Minnesota and Nebraska are the other two going to the NCAA tournament. So shout out to those teams. I got to tell you a quick story about softball, though, quick. Okay, Adam? Okay. So I played baseball as a kid. I was on a state championship team. First one in South Dakota to win a state championship. We just started nice. high school baseball. Then we win Very it. Nice. I'll tell you that story another day, but this is about softball. I go down to do sports radio in Nashville, and one of our interns at the time, she was big into softball, and Team USA was coming to town. And they were going to play an exhibition against one of the minor league softball teams or one of the professional softball teams. And I was like, you know, that's cool, but do we really want to talk softball on the show? Like, that seems like a pretty easy sport. You know, they're throwing it underhand. You know, I was used to balls coming close, you know, to my chin at 90 miles an hour. And so I get on the radio and I decide to, to go with that hot take. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, and go? so she, yeah, she, <laughs> she says to me, okay, you think it's that easy? How about you and your producer, uh, DJ Adam J? How about you guys come out? And in the seventh inning, sixth inning, whatever, mid, mid sixth inning, we'll let you guys take a couple of cuts at one of the pitchers from Team USA. I'm like, all right, cool. And I was real cocky till about four days before this. And I decided to start going to the batting cages. And I'm putting it on the high speed, you know, fast pitch, underhand. And I am barely hitting this ball. I'm like, what did I get myself into? So we trot out there. First pitch, whap, it hits the glove. And then I swing. Oh Second God. pitch, she throws me a curveball. A curveball. Who throws a curveball underhand? I take a big whiff at the thing and miss it. Yeah. Third third one comes the heat again, and I foul it off, and I celebrate like I hit a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning of a World Series because I knew that was the best that was going to ever happen. Jenny Finch, uh, the Hall of Famer, was was not pitching to me, but she was in the dugout. A few years later, she was on my radio show, and she still remembered that night in Nashville, Tennessee, where I put my foot, and in this case, a softball, in my mouth. And I will never disrespect that sport ever, ever again. So, first of all, the name is misleading. Obviously, the ball is not soft, but it gives you an implication (laughs) that the game itself is easy just by the name. So, I have five daughters, and I have a son who plays baseball, and Addison and Trinity are on competitive softball teams at their ripe old ages of 12 and 11. Okay, but when you play competitive softball, by the way, whether you want it to or not, it's a year-round sport. So, that's something I'm sorting out in my own mind, but that's a conversation for another day. But first of all, if you want to pitch in softball, you've got to – I'm not a fan of getting all these private lessons for kids. I'm just not. But Addison wanted to pitch. I'm like, Addie, I can help you with just about anything in any sport to a certain degree outside of hockey, cannot skate, and softball pitching. I watch these girls on TV, and I don't know how they do that, underhand and all that stuff. I have learned, first of all, pitching in softball is an art unto itself. 
you you have to get lessons because most softball coaches have no idea how to coach that because it's so unique and you don't ever practice it. Like if you're learning to throw in baseball, you're semi learning to pitch it to a degree. Yes. You don't yeah. ever do this motion. No. Okay. Unless you're bowling or something like you never do it. So I have learned how much time goes into this. I it's have crazy. learned how difficult it is. Uh, my daughter did get the opportunity to meet Jenny Fitch because they went and watched the Women's College World Series, Women's College World Series game last year. Actually, Danny, hi, Danny. Danny Breed, one of the dads of the girls on the team, got hit in the face with a home run ball because he wasn't paying attention in the outfield. Got nailed. He's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. He played college baseball. He should know better. But I have, I, I've, I've also seen really good hitters in baseball try to hit off a softball pitcher. The ball is so different. The rise ball. Oh. The oh, curveball, which oh, you didn't know existed. I didn't either. Oh, they make them look – I'm not even going to say silly. They make them look stupid. It's I crazy because yes. it's so different than hitting a baseball. It is – I have so much more respect for that sport than I've ever had in my entire life. And Me too. I, I, it, don't feel bad. That would have happened to just about anybody. I mean, you can feel bad just because I want to give you a hard time, but that would have happened to just about anybody. Again, man. So shout out to Northwestern, the Big Ten champs. Best of luck uh, to the other schools as well as they participate in the NCAA tournament. That's a wrap on this edition of the Big Ten show as another page has turned here on the program. He's Adam Carricker. I'm Jeff Turin. Until next time, be well. Y'all find us iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, like, subscribe, do the whole nine yards. We look forward to chatting sooner rather than later.